0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The summer of 1984 will long be remembered among physicists as the beginning of the first string theory revolution. It was a period of upheaval when the subject sharply changed direction with many physicists faced with the challenge of changing the way they look at the world. In that first string revolution many physicists felt that they at last had a framework that might supply a unified account of gravity and the other three forces that are responsible for the structure of atoms. In the string framework the most basic entities of the universe are not point-like particles, but a single string whose vibrations correspond to the particles experimenters observe. That summer, this looked an extremely promising idea. Dozens of theoreticians down tools and switched to do research on the string framework, some of them inspired by the prospect that they would soon have an explanation of why gravity must exist. My name is Graham Farmalow, and I'm the author of the new book, The Universe Speaks in Numbers. It features an account of the first string theory revolution and some of the developments that led to it, as well as some of the consequences. The revolution's junta included the British theoretician Michael Green, my guest today. He and his friend John Schwartz, a fine theorist at the California Institute of Technology, wrote the brilliant paper that was most responsible for the upheaval. I've known Michael Green for 40 years. When I was a graduate student and later an academic at the Open University, he was one of the leading lights of the generation above mine. I remember inviting him to give a talk at the OU's physics department around 1979 and afterwards travelling to London with him en route to the theatre. He chatted amiably about fundamental physics and it was clear to me that he was going places, though it wasn't clear which of his many interests were going to bear fruit. That was an exciting time to be a physicist, especially if you were interested in subatomic particles. The standard model of particle physics based on quantum mechanics and relativity was becoming very well established. But Green was one of those who chose not to focus on this area of physics, but on what were known as dual models, which took a different approach to the world of subatomic particles. The first dual model, set out by the Italian theoretician Gabriele Veneziano, was born of experiments in which protons, neutrons and other strongly-interacting particles scatter off one another. Based on quantum mechanics and relativity, these models did not attempt to explain the details of the particles' behaviour. The string framework emerged from close studies of these dual models by John Schwartz and a few others. The idea that there might exist a new symmetry of nature known as supersymmetry came out of this work too. But by late 1983, the subject was only a scientific backwater, with experts like Michael Green, John Schwartz and a handful of others ploughing their lonely furrow. It was in this period that Green and Schwartz got together and came up with the idea that made them the toast of the theoretical community. Green remembers this period clearly. The next step was
1: meeting John Schwartz, um, who I had known somewhat in Princeton where I was a postdoc in the uh, beginning of the 70s but we hadn't been very close until we met just by chance actually in CERN. Um, Mm. I was visiting CERN for the summer, he was visiting CERN for the summer and we bumped into each other in the cafeteria which is the place where many Mm. ideas are are Mm. barefoot Mm. and we talked about what we were interested in. This was 1979 and we um, started to work together getting nowhere that summer. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, enjoying each other's Mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. And so we arranged to meet a year later in Aspen, Ah, Colorado.
0: Um,
1: So I met up with John that next summer, 1980. And we started to work on reformulating string theory, the, the version which has fermions as well as bosons. Right. We called it Super String Theory. Yeah. And um, we worked together for several years doing things that we found exciting, actually more and more exciting, mm-hmm. but they weren't relevant somehow to what other people were doing. At least other people thought they weren't. So John and I had this period where relatively few papers were being published in String Theory, almost no papers, mm-hmm. with some very major exceptions. Mm-hmm. And that was a luxury. <laughs> it was a luxury which has not been repeated since then. <laughs> we, we could arrange to meet for a few months each year and then go away and not do anything until we met the next year and we were pretty sure that no one would have solved the problems that we were wanting because there were
0: so few people working on because there
1: were so few people working on. yeah yeah. um so that was great i mean it's much more comfortable when you feel you can spend as much time as you want working on something you
0: both of you have bills to pay you know both you had to put a roof over your head i mean there must have been something driving you on you must have thought you were going somewhere
1: Yes, although, I mean, I had a permanent job in yeah. at that point in at Queen Mary in mm-hmm. London, and I was being treated very well by them. And my um, head of department was very generous yes. in allowing me time off to do research. Mm-hmm. That was John Charrup, ah, who, right. who really um, mm-hmm. was a, a, a wonderful ah. character. And, um, of course, John Schwartz was not on a permanent position in Caltech, yep. but he'd been there a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Murray Gell-Mann was the person who was providing the research support for him. Very
0: senior physicist at uh, Caltech. Yes, and
1: and as long as Murray was interested, John was secure. And, And Murray was very interested, he was very supportive. And so I was invited to go to Caltech to work with John on several occasions in those years. So our main research collaboration was between 1979 and 1984.
0: Right. It's quite a long time. These days, you know, when you hear so much about the pressure on people to publish or perish mm-hmm. or what have you, you just speak well, actually, for the people actually that were sheltering you as well, that they were letting you plough your own furrow, because there was no guarantee you were going to go anywhere with this stuff, as people must have told you. <laughs>
1: no, that's true, although, to their credit, there were certain people, certain major people, who were very enthusiastic, um, ah. even though they weren't themselves working okay. on it. So Murray Girl Man was one of them. Okay. Um, another was um, Ed Witten, um, right. who obviously was very, very interested, even though uncharacteristically (laughs) he wasn't publishing in this area. I mean, he's very, very quick at understanding things and Mm -hmm. publishing things, and for some reason he had some inhibition about publishing work on string theory, Mm -hmm. Um, but he was very encouraging. And David Gross is another one. Who um, who was very encouraging, even though he also was not working.
0: Okay, in this area. okay. Uh, so it wouldn't be fair to say that you know no one was interested. There were some very senior people there. And I might say, from my perspective and the foot soldier, people okay. knew that you and John were very smart people. It's just that you were working on a rather exotic part right. of the subject, it wasn't no, mainstream I, for sure.
1: Absolutely, and I and I at some point early on, I wondered whether this was really the right way to go because yeah. although it was very exciting to me, unless it excited the community, the chances were that it wouldn't really be a sensible thing to be working on. Um, But quite early on, around about 1981, a couple of years into our research, Mm. we had a result which really made it quite clear that this was a very interesting area, in that we showed that the quantum corrections to string theory, and what's called the one-loop correction, Mm. Mm -hmm. gave a finite answer this is a theory containing gravity, mm-hmm. and one of the major problems with qu- combining quantum mechanics and general relativity is that uh, you tend to get nonsense, yep. di- divergent. You mean infinities and things like that, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in 1981, we showed that this theory, which only made sense in 10 dimensions right. at that time, didn't have the problems that any normal theory would have, especially well, in a high That must have been
0: very encouraging, then, because that really was an unusual thing, wasn't it? That well, that was theory.
1: the first yeah, time there had ever been, I think, a quantum oh. calculation in, in a theory of gravity that gave a finite answer.
0: um. The green schwartz collaboration came to fruition in the summer of 1984 at the Aspen Centre for Physics in Colorado. After years out of the limelight, the two physicists had great success when they finally discovered a string theory that made sense. The theory...
1: A string theory of a type that could possibly have some connection with experimental data in the sense that it described particles that had quantum numbers and included gravity. Mm -hmm. Um, It avoided what appeared to be a theorem. Everyone had told us that there was going to be a problem with such a theory because it would have what are called anomalies.
0: Did people think you were wasting your time or did they think it was merely a problem?
1: Well, people made different statements. Some people thought, you know, we're wasting our time because it's bound yeah. to have anomalies. Mm-hmm. I think the more thoughtful people just pointed out that this was a major issue that we should be investigating. Right. Okay. We knew it was anyway, but that was emphasised to us by all sorts of okay. people like like Edwin and, and, and Fan Wilczek, actually, who pointed out that unless we could somehow show that the theory didn't have anomalies, it would be dead because mm-hmm. anomalies of the kind that we're talking about are manifested as inconsistencies mm-hmm. in the
0: theory. So it was the summer of 1984 at Aspen that I believe it all came together, is that
1: right? Yeah, so we had decided before that summer that we were going to tackle this particular problem Uh, because we knew that was the outstanding problem in our work. It was a natural thing to do. But actually, we knew very little about how to calculate anomalies. Mm -hmm. So I turned up in Aspen touching some notes that I had from lectures by Hugh Osborne here in Cambridge Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. about how to calculate anomalies. Mm -hmm. And in a very pedestrian way, we attempted to do the calculation. We were exceptionally lucky in that in Aspen that summer, there was a program involving many of the world's experts on anomalies. Oh. So people like Zumino and Tony Z and, mm. and Bardeen and mm-hmm. all sorts of people who had been writing papers on anomalies mm-hmm. in, in field theory mm-hmm. uh, were there and we could talk to them and we learnt a lot from yeah, them. Yeah, okay. None of them, of course, were working on string theory, so we had to sort of invent the rules for how to calculate anomalies in string theory based on what we had understood from these people. What was wonderful about that particular result was not that we eventually did it, but once we'd seen the light, it all worked out within a day. Um, It was just a a very, very um, beautiful moment. I mean, it was an extraordinary moment. I mean, that particular day, I remember it well, because in the morning we had, you know, Shown one aspect of these anomalies, the, the gauge anomaly, mm-hmm. um, and by the afternoon we had the gravitation, which we in principle much more mm-hmm. subtle and complicated, um, mm-hmm. and they had to fit together in a certain way, which, mm-hmm. which they
0: did. Green remembers that wonderful summer when word spread of the triumph he and Schwartz had achieved, putting string theory firmly back on the agenda of fundamental physics.
1: I mean, the problem, of course, looking back on it, is in those are days well before the internet. Uh, or at least before the internet was used by anyone. And, um, the communication of the results was not so fast as it would have been mm. nowadays, but yeah. it was fast enough. And yeah. within a couple of days, oh, yeah. somebody had gone back from Aspen to Princeton, which is where Ed Witten was, and he had got wind of it. Mm-hmm. And so we had phone calls from, from Witten mm-hmm. and,
0: um, and
1: other people communicating that they had heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then very quickly there were papers appearing.
0: And it was all it, looking really good for, for some months.
1: Well, those next few months were crazy. I mean, they were, they were I mean, crazy for me because, and probably for John because we, um, on the one hand, there were a number of issues that came up that we really wanted to understand. And on the other hand, we were very much in demand to yeah. go and give lectures, which mm-hmm. took up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And there were months in which several other developments happened in string theory, which were very important. Mm-hmm. So um, there were months in which a group of people showed how you might get real physics in four dimensions mm-hmm. space one time out of this rather um, abstract Not ten argument. dimensions yeah, yeah. Um, and then another group showed how to get the kind of string theory that we had failed to get involving quantum yeah. numbers associated with what's called e8 times e8 mm-hmm. which has subsequently played an enormously important role in mm-hmm. the developments in the subject mm-hmm. 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 so the world changed because at that point there was competition, a mm-hmm. huge competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, we had less time to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we had been bachelors as well. That sort of helped, I think, because mm-hmm. we didn't have, you know, deep-seated commitments to a life outside of research. John then met his wife, mm-hmm. the woman who would have been his wife. So mm-hmm. that, that also sort of was one reason why we didn't get together so often after that. I
0: see. I've heard people say that it was a time, one of those moments in physics in particular, where basically you had to make a big decision, you had to retool and learn this subject or go your own way and hope it would fizzle out. I mean, several people have said that to me. Uh, uh, yeah, I, think, I don't know whether you agree with
1: that. I think that's probably, I mean, it is true. That's what happened. In fact, the immediate aftermath of the summer of 84 was I organized with David Gross a school or a workshop mm. in Santa Barbara the following summer, oh yeah. which was hugely attended by experts in the field of supergravity mm. and in quantum field theory, mm. who we were all trying to learn string theory. Mm. So, And I know that people like Abdus Salam... And Murray Garman, um, and Steven Weinberg. They were
0: all piling in, in what, the most of other, other parts of physics, yeah, yeah.
1: And, um, yeah. so there was a great effort to learn it. It's, it's a fantastically rich subject. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful
0: subject, mm-hmm. which is why we were doing it. Um, but you told me you, were, the mathematics didn't turn you on. You haven't mentioned mathematics. Well, uh, so, I, yeah.
1: I, I haven't mentioned mathematics so far. Yet. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, but the oh, thing yeah. about string yeah, theory yeah, that yeah. is truly
0: amazing yeah. is
1: that, that it has a sort of will of its own and it has this rich mathematical content which has led to a, a real symbiosis between pure mathematics and theoretical mm-hmm. physics mm-hmm. In, in a way which is very
0: unusual. Do you find that encouraging? Or, or do you think it's potentially misleading? You know, there are people that say, well, an, just because it's interesting in mathematics, that doesn't mean to say it's got anything to do with nature. I mean, what's your view on that? You're implying it's encouraging, yes?
1: It's not just encouraging. Fine. I think it's amazing. Oh, <laughs> I, right. think it's, uh, yeah. I think that one of the great puzzles, as has often been pointed out, is why on earth is it that elegant mathematics Mm. seems to be so relevant to theoretical physics. Now, in the case of string theory, of course, modern versions of string theory are not that closely related to theoretical physics yet. Mm. But we believe strongly that there is a deep connection between string theory and the physical world. Mm. And at the same time, there's this extraordinary connection with areas of mathematics which are... Very abstract, um, mm-hmm. some of them. I mm-hmm. mean, areas to do with the Langlands programming, mm-hmm. in number theory, and, mm-hmm. and other areas of mathematics. Um, and I personally have been forced to learn some of this, and the natural questions to ask in string theory, the ones I've been asking recently, for example, mm-hmm. are clearly more of interest to mathematicians than they would be to experimental mm-hmm. physicists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the subject lies somewhere in between um, In a sense, what I'm saying is a cliche, but I I think that mathematics is not just an essential tool in describing the theory, but it's it's an essential part of the language, the fundamentals of the theory itself. Mm -hmm. One can't describe what one's trying to describe in language, in Mm -hmm. normal words. Mm -hmm. Um, I think mathematics is um, the only way of formulating many of these ideas, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which, of course, is one of the problems in string theory. It's nice to make a comparison with, um, for example, with Einstein. Mm. Einstein developed general relativity Mm, over over a period of about 10 years Mm, following mm -hmm. his work on special relativity. And he sat down and thought about it. Mm -hmm. And by thinking very deeply and Mm -hmm. with amazing Mm -hmm. insight, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. he realized that the world could not be any other way other than the the laws of physics have to satisfy Mm -hmm. the principles of general relativity. String theory is certainly not like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. Its history was very bizarre. It grew up by accident, Mm -hmm. emerging out of experimental data. And I don't think anyone could sit down and think of a logical reason why the theory has to be the way it is. And my interpretation of that is the theory isn't really a theory. Um, So string theory is is a set of ideas which put together most of what we can think of at the moment as being necessary for a fundamental theory. So Mm -hmm. the ingredients of something are there, Mm -hmm. but it's clearly not formulated in the right language. Mm -hmm. And because it's not formulated in the right language, we don't really know even how to make sense of its predictions. Mm. It doesn't have any really genuine, rigorously derived predictions yet. Um, so we're at some intermediate stage, mm-hmm. and th- the hope would be, of course, that um, this will lead to a formulation of something. My guess is that the word string may not even be relevant to that something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it will lead to something which will be much more obviously okay. a complete theory, mm-hmm. which will hopefully make connections with the physical world. <laughs>
0: I get what you're saying there, but the thing that will surprise people who, who aren't specialist physicists here is that if you're doing science, why aren't you yearning for the experiment to be helping you along here in some way?
1: Uh, well, well I, of course I am yearning for that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the question is what sort of experiment? Uh, you know, We're very limited in the kinds of things we can imagine. Mm-hmm. We're limited by modern techniques for doing experimental physics and modern ideas, mm-hmm. Um uh, so one of, one thing, for example, that mm-hmm. has happened mm-hmm. over the last 15 years, probably, mm-hmm. is that string theory, which was originally invented to describe hydraulic physics and then invented to try and understand the unity of the fundamental particles and forces, it is now used as a sort of overarching mathematical framework mm-hmm. for describing areas of theoretical physics which are far, far away from yeah. what it was originally designed for. Mm-hmm. So it is now being used at least to motivate very strongly mm-hmm. Ideas in condensed matter physics,
0: things of solids and superconducting materials right. and what have you, yeah.
1: But the kinds of systems in condensed matter physics where conventional theoretical tools uh, have not been useful, right? Okay. So there are things called high temperature superconductors yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, quantum critical phenomena, mm-hmm. which, at the very least, modern ideas in string theory is providing a hint as to how to uh, attack them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I think that saying that it's remote from experiment is true if the kind of experiment you're thinking of are experiments in particle physics, but it's given birth to many ideas in other areas of theoretical physics and and cosmology, which are highly original and hopefully will will go somewhere.
0: One last, very last question. Are you not ever troubled late at night thinking that this, this wonderful edifice that you've spoken about might not be? Directly experimentally testable or might be too expensive in terms of hardware to actually test this framework.
1: I don't think of it that way. I don't think that at the moment there's anything directly to test because we don't know what its predictions are. Mm. So I think really that we are at a stage in the development of something. So string theory, which I call it string not yet a theory.
0: (laughs) 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 um,
1: String theory isn't in a position yet to be directly tested in the way that I think you're implying. But it contains within it Mm -hmm. quantum field theory. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: There's an interplay between quantum field theory and and string theory. Which really
0: does connect with experiment. And quantum field theory is is an
1: example of a mathematical structure which connects not just with experiment in particle physics, but with experiments in condensed matter physics and other areas of of physics. And the fact that string theory is so intimately connected to quantum field theory means that string theory, by definition almost, Mm -hmm. does... Make contact with the experiment okay. uh, in, in that sense.
0: Michael Greed and John Schwartz got their due. They became major stars of the physics community. Schwartz was awarded tenure at Caltech, one of the world's leading centers of physics research. Green was later appointed as Stephen Hawking's successor as a Lucasian chair of mathematics, a post once held by Paul Dirac and Isaac Newton. The string framework became the basis of a huge amount of theoretical research, as I describe in The Universe Speaks in Numbers. For sure, it's been disappointing that the framework has not yet been supported by experiment. But that's not to say it never will. The framework has nonetheless proved to be a boon to mathematicians and generated ideas that have proved useful in other parts of physics, especially in studies of condensed matter and cosmology. For many string experts, the mathematical richness of the framework is significant. It encourages them to believe that he's on the right lines. The universe is speaking to them through mathematics.